Well, can anybody remember where we are in our study? What, what, what are we looking at here? Anybody? What's that? Debbie, did you say something? Did you say Matthew? No, I thought you, I thought you mouthed it. We're in the book of Matthew. And we've been studying the life of Christ, if you remember, not just following it in the book of Matthew, but kind of going through all of the Gospels and bringing out the characteristics. We've come to Matthew uh, chapter 6 this morning. We're in the Sermon of the Mount. If you remember, uh, we started that a couple months ago, and then we had some, some breaks, some interruptions. I've been in Alaska, then the, the team shared last week. Um, remember in chapter 5, we, we kind of finished chapter 5. We're going to be moving to chapter 6 today. Um, last time... Christ in chapter 5, when we were together, that whole chapter, Christ was addressing the cultural righteousness of their time. Remember, they were dealing with a righteousness where kind of man-made, where, where man was the, the, the standard. Um, and remember what God said to that in chapter 5, verse 20? He said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So here, here are the, the religious leaders of their time. I mean, the ones that they're supposed to have up on the pedestal. We follow their example. He says, you got, you got way better than even your religious leaders are doing. And then Christ would go on towards the end of that chapter. And he said, let me, let me tell you a little bit about it. He says, you say, well, I've never committed murder. He says, well, if you've ever been angry at someone. In God's eyes, it's just like you've committed murder. I've never committed adultery. Well, have you ever looked upon uh, another person with, with lust? So it's the same as adultery in God's eyes. You say it's great to love your neighbor. Man, I love my neighbor. I love all the, you know, the people who I surround myself with that, you know, that, that I like. But he says, God says to, to love your enemy. And to this, everybody comes to the conclusion and says... That's ridiculous. There is nobody, there is no human on earth that can go through their whole life and not be angry. You know, we, we, there's no way that we can't go through life and, 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 and have impure thoughts or, you know, pour out that love upon our enemies. Folks, that's the whole point. You are right. We cannot. And that's where Christ was trying to get them to the place that in and of ourselves, we are helpless. There's nothing we can do. And if we can't do it in ourselves, we need someone to do it for us. And that's why we're studying the life of Christ, because it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about him who came and lived that perfect righteous standard, the Son of God who ultimately will give his life for the forgiveness of your sins. And so no matter how good you are, you might be farther along than I am, but it doesn't matter. What is going to matter is what we've done with Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 5, he's been talking about that, that, that standard of righteousness. Now as we move to chapter 6 then, he's going to be again focusing off the standard of righteousness onto the actions of righteousness. What does righteousness look like? How is it lived out? And I'm going to invite you, if you would, hopefully you're in Matthew chapter 6 by now, I'm going to invite you to stand together with me. I'm going to read the first 18 verses, um, Matthew chapter 6 for us. It says there, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. 
So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen of men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to their Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whenever you fast... Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. May be seated. And we've taken a pretty large portion of Scripture this morning, and, and, and I've pers- purposefully taken this, not at three different messages, one on giving and one on praying and one on fasting, uh, because I really think there's one message here, because there are some themes that run through all of these things, and these themes are the actual message and not necessarily... Yes, there are lessons that it's teaching us concerning praying and fasting and giving, but, but these themes are Christ's point. And I want to deal with, first of all, three areas that the Lord has spoken on here in themes. The first one, we're going to go ahead and put these verses up here for us, uh, Matt, if you would. If you want to notice on each of the three things that he talks about, giving, praying, and fasting, um, verses 2, 5, and 16, do we have that here? There we go. Thank you. Um, in the first thing is the statement that it makes when you okay when you do this when you give to the poor um do we have these we don't have these all on one verse you're fine no you're fine uh they can fill in the blanks here verse 2 says so when you do these things verse 5 says when you pray verse 16 says whenever you fast I I want to point out, it doesn't say if you do these things. But it says when you do these things. And my point is, with salvation, when the person has the righteousness of Christ, 
His, his blood covering our sin, it's going to make a difference in our life. We're going to do. There are going to be right, righteous acts that, that follow a person genuinely being saved and being a child of God. With righteousness that occurs within a person, there are things that begin to manifest themselves externally. You know, visible results of holiness. There's godly character. There, you know, there, there's redemption. It can be seen on our outside. Now, we're not perfect. And, you know, he talks about us being like babes in Christ and slowly growing up into maturity. But the point is, you're, you're going to see a difference when a person is genuinely saved. Their, their life is going to be changed. I mean, nowhere in Scripture is it ever put forth that a person will receive forgiveness of their sins, take on Christ's righteousness, and then nothing. And then nothing till we get to heaven. What happens inside is going to be manifested on our outside. I also don't believe it talks about praying and fasting and giving here. I also don't believe that Christ is trying to give us an exhaustive list here of these are the righteous acts, you know, that, that you should be involved in. I mean, obviously we should be involved in these things, but this isn't an exhaustive list. He's just using examples here. And probably these things are giving, are praying, the, the fasting. They're probably the easiest um, for us to abuse them. And so Christ brings these things out to give us an example. But he's not trying to say these are the only things that, that deal in the area of righteousness. A second thing I want to point out is I want you to note the thought in the verse. It says to be seen by men or that they may be seen by men. So it's the same thing in verse 2, that they may be seen by men. In verse 5, it's, you know, it talks about our prayer. And it says you know, that they, may, they pray that they might be seen by men. Same thing with fasting. They want people to see them. So whatever, whenever and whatever my actions of righteousness that I'm doing... They are, the purity of motive is necessary. Why I'm doing them. What's my focus? You know, what, what's, what's standing behind them? You know, it needs to be God-centered, not, not man-centered. And I want you to notice that this does not say, what it doesn't say here, it doesn't say that it's wrong when your righteous acts are seen by men. It isn't saying that it's wrong when somebody sees you living righteously, but it's saying it's wrong for you to live so that other men will see you and other men will glorify you because of your righteous acts. I mean, really, if you tie this back, if you go just back to chapter 5, verse 16, um, a few weeks ago we looked at that. In verse 15 it says, Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. It's the idea that you don't become a Christian, you don't, you know, stuff it under a, a bushel, but you put it on a lampstand, you know, for all the people to see. And we say, isn't this contradictory of what he's now saying in chapter 6? No. In both cases, the focus is God. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they might, what? See your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They both have the same motive, the same end to make sure that our deeds, whatever it is that we are doing, as a result of our faith, that they are pointing other people to God the Father. So on this, I may be called to pray like I did for the opening offering. You might see me pray, but I need to make sure that when I am praying, I am focusing on God. It's not about you 
or making sure you know that you guys are impressed with the prayer and you know and and how it's worded and if i weave scripture through it and and i use big theological words that you come going away from this saying boy he's a good prayer i mean that's not the whole point of it the whole point is to focus on jesus christ to focus on god the father you know my motives need to be focused so even when you are asked to pray publicly you know and, and again this takes a little bit of work tune out everybody that's out there and talk to your father and, and pray and and that's supposed to be our focus third thing i want to emphasize here is that there is a reward for righteous actions all three of these things and like i said i don't think it's an exhaustive list there's many things that we can do in acts of righteousness but there's a reward when we do righteous acts. The question here is who do we receive our reward from? You know, the, all three of them say there's a reward. And herein lies the dilemma of this, and this is why Christ, I believe, is bringing this up so strongly here. Um, even when you or I do something with the wrong motives, if I pray with the wrong motives and that, you know, it's real important for me that you think that I'm, you know, so spiritual and, you know, I want to be exalted because of it. Or when you come and you maybe you serve at the church, you teach a Sunday school or you, you come and you work on the church. When you do those things, even when your motives are wrong, that you want people to think about you, our, our problem is there's a reward there. And, and that reward sometimes keeps us away from the reward that we're supposed to be here, uh, you know, going towards. You know, there's admiration, there's respect, you know, there's authority, there's people appreciate you, and, you know, and they talk and they say nice things about you, and, and it's easy to be that's what we want. And so that's, that's the difficulty of these righteous acts that we have. You know, we, we do get a reward even when we do it wrong. But the problem is the reward is right here. The reward is right now, and the reward is fleeting. I mean, verse 5, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they will be seen of men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. That moment, that moment, whatever it is, if their motive is wrong, they are, they are paid in full. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in that. Of worrying about other people and what other people think about you and prayer is a perfect example of that um, I think it's probably one of the most abused areas that we have in, in, our, in our spiritual righteousness that we have because we're so worried about how we sound we want to sound spiritual um, we want to sound so official I, uh, I had a friend in college who we were both taking pastoral classes together and in the very beginning of it uh, we would we would go and we would practice our messages to each other. You know, we'd have to preach a five-minute message to the class, but ahead of time we'd practice each other. And I, I remember the very first time, and I, I think I shared this years and years ago, but the very first time he was practicing towards me his his first sermon ever. And 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 this guy, you got you got to think he's he's a tenor, he's a natural tenor, so he has a higher voice. But he stands up in front of me and he goes, prayer. God's hotline to heaven. <laughs> like, 
I just busted out laughing. I mean, like, what in the world? And he was being serious. And we, and we, you know, we got talking about it. Is Why is it that we think somehow God hears bass tones better than somebody who might have a high voice? Why is it that, you know, the, the majestic and the drawn out and the echoey? But we have this idea, probably because that's what we are impressed with or that, that, that we highlight. And, and, and we can pray like that. And, and God says there's a reward. Or we can pray focused on God. We can pray unconcerned with, you know, what all you are thinking about me. And I know, I mean, I'll, I'll just speak, you know, truthfully. I know, you know, many of you, you know, public prayer, it's, it's hard because you're, you're afraid you're going to get to a place and you're nervous. And it's one thing when I'm praying by myself and I, I might stutter or lose my thought or can't think of that word or, or something like that. And, and you're worried you do it publicly, you're going to do that. Folks, who cares? I would rather... I would rather follow and listen to a prayer that's pointing me to God that's all mixed up and convoluted and all over the place and, you know, the thoughts might be, not be pure. I'd rather, I'd rather pray than that than some, some lofty-sounding prayer that I walk away having no connection with God. You know, the, 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 the issue is when we pray to God, not caring, not, not focused on other people, there's a reward there. And that award may not be immediate like the praise of men thinking so highly of you. But God says, I will reward you. And, and I, again, he doesn't go specifically to what that reward is, but I, I think I can fill in the blanks. Probably those prayers are heard by God. Not the prayers that I'm praying for man's sake. So one of the rewards is I have the ear of God. You know, in the presence of deity. I mean, hold that up next to having man's admiration. Which would you rather have? Again, this is the the same theme that is running through all these three things and through all of the righteous acts that we have the opportunity to do in our faith. So what I want to do with just a little bit of time that we have here left, real quickly here, I want to shift gears and look specifically at these areas that Christ is addressing. And again, reminding you that you know, these are just examples that he's given us. These aren't the only righteous acts that we can do. But, but here's a good test pool uh, for us. So he starts first with giving. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men, to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So when you give to the poor, don't stand and, and, and blow a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And I, can, I think I can honestly tell you that there is probably not a, a greater area in the church that is out of balance, and even our understanding is, is in this area of giving within the church. Um, it, it's, an, it's one of our acts of righteousness that we do as a result of Christ being in our heart and understanding we want to be part of that kingdom and, and we want to see others come to know Christ and be part of the church family. All those things all follows, follows along in there. And if, as one of those acts of righteousness, why is it that it makes us so uncomfortable to talk about? 
I mean, just the fact that this subject is brought up has probably caused many to think, here we go again, and talk about money. You know, hey, pastor, talk about prayer all you want, talking about needing to be in God's word and having devotions and, and people getting saved. But why is it when we talk about prayer, or excuse me, giving, that, that we are so uncomfortable? I mean, each of these is acts of of righteousness. Why is it that if I did a five-week sermon on giving, my guess is that your response to it would be different than I do a five-week sermon on evangelism and sharing our faith, or a five-week sermon on prayer? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, some are externally. We certainly have many tele-evangelists TV ministries and personalities, you know, that worship the dollar, that have exploited, you know, good, loving, caring people and, you know, built their own personal kingdoms. We have certainly that as an example out there, and, 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 and so we kind of pull away from that. But I really think, I, th- I think our materialism, my own personal materialism can cause this feeling. We want things. We want good things in our life. And I don't want to feel guilty about the good things that I have in my life. Um, you know, I don't want to feel, you know, that, wow, uh, maybe there's some things that I put ahead of the Lord. And we don't want to be kind of confronted with that. And so I think sometimes our own personal inside, we're uncomfortable with it because that's an area that we need to release to God. You know, I, love, I love talking about it. I mean, not just me preaching on it, but, but hearing about it. Be challenged. You know, and we should. This is a, this is a, a, a tremendous way for us to c- connect in our faith. And Christ addresses, you know, uh, this problem in verse 2. He says, so when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the street so that you may be honored by men. Because truly I say to you, you you've received your reward. Folks, the truth of it was these hypocrites were not giving. They were actually buying. They were using their finances as a tool to elevate their stature and to elevate their influence within their Judaism. I mean, you know, oh, brother so-and-so has fallen on hard times. Let me see what I can do for them to help them. I mean, literally... They would blow the trumpet when, before their actions were done and they were given. And, and in man's eyes, they grew. Man, he's so generous. He's so gracious. He's so caring of the poor. And that is exactly what they wanted to happen. They wanted people, they were buying influence. They were buying importance. And in a much more subtle way, we can allow this to occur within the church today. You know, this is kind of a two-way street. If, if I give a person influence just because I think they give more than another person, that's a problem. I mean, if we begin making decisions as the church and directions that we feel God wants to do or not do based on what the largest giver in the church or largest givers want, that's a problem. We're, we're wrong. 
And on the other hand, if a person tries to use their giving as a leverage tool in the church, you know, I'll, I'll give to, you know, support this, but I'm not in favor of this, I'm not going to give to that, and they kind of use it as a leverage type of tool, you know, that's wrong as well. I remember the very first church that I pastored, it, it kind of an interesting setup, um, the evening service, they had an evening service, and an offering was taken in the evening service. And that, that offering is what they used to pay the pastor. Uh, you know, at that time, it was $60 a week. And they would, you know, you know, take that offering. They didn't even take an offering in the morning church. It was only a half hour. They took the full offering in Sunday school. And then when I came, the, you know, the offerings during the Sunday school, you know, were way larger than the offerings in the evening. And what it ended up doing is it ended up for the former pastor, it ended up being an issue of control. If I don't like him, I don't give. And so suddenly, if they're paying him $60 a week, what do you do with only $40 comes in or $30 comes in? You know, it was an issue of control in their lives. And, and so the giving was all skewed and having the wrong thought. And I don't even want to have that control, you know that? Because when my giving will influence a decision. That kind of makes me the Holy Spirit. You know, that kind of makes me, I'm going to control things. And What if I'm wrong? What if maybe something I'm not in favor of is exactly what God wants us to do? And, and again, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to play Holy Spirit to say, you know, that, that it, it's only me that God is working through. And so it's so important, this giving, it, it's, it's, a, it's a sensitive issue for us because it's so easy for us to, to get glory from men for our giving. It's so easy for us to step into the arena of using our giving to influence and to change directions. You know, I shared this years ago, and I'm going to kind of belabor the giving point here because that's the one that makes us most uncomfortable. You know, and so, and then we'll, we'll hit the others a little quicker. Um, years ago, when I was 21 years old, I graduated from Bible school. Um, I entered a seven-month internship, and, and I think I shared this uh, a few years, at least part of that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a young wannabe pastor, you know, feeling, God, is this what you want? And I'm at this new church. It was in North Adams, Michigan. And my second day there... Suddenly, the, the church janitor, we meet each other in the stairway, and the church janitor literally shreds the senior pastor in front of me. I mean, the senior pastor is there. He just starts ripping on the senior pastor. He starts talking him down. He starts gossiping, slandering. I mean, it was, it was visceral. It was horrible, the things that he was saying. And again, here I am, you know, a young you know, minister, wannabe, whatever. Um, I'm shell-shocked. So in a very vague way, about two months later, I was teaching the adult Sunday school class, and we were teaching in the book of James, and I'd come to the tongue. And in a very vague way, you know, I mentioned, you know, that, that, that once in the church I got, you know, confronted by someone who was, you know, ripping on the past or whatever. And, and, and that's about all I said. To my great shock, everybody there knew who I was talking about. And as a matter of fact, at the next elder meeting... I got reprimanded. I never said a name. I never even said specifics. 
you know, again, I was young, not very smart there. Now I would look back and I wish I would have said, whoa, you know about this? You're not doing anything about this? Okay, this is kind of a, this is kind of a, a side thing to set this up. So anyway, that, that gentleman, he's the, the janitor of the church. He hates the senior pastor. And after about four months that I was there, the offerings started going down. And they started dropping. And folks, this was the platform that this man needed. And I remember the congregational meeting where he stood up in a very public way in the congregational meeting and just attacked the pastor. The pastor wasn't doing his job. And he pointed to the giving. And he said, see, the people aren't giving because people aren't supportive of him. And, you know, he's lost, he's lost support. And, and a lot of people began, you know, jumping on the bag wagon. And my heart just broke for that situation. But you know what? You know, even though they had that tremendous sense of ungodliness at that moment, it's so neat to see God moving and God working. And in some ways, I think God has a sense of humor in this. About a month later, it was found out, and I won't go into details, it was found out that the janitor's son, 18-year-old son, was taking his father's keys and breaking into the church offices and stealing money and he had stolen thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and that's why there was a difference in 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 the offerings and i just thought you know leave it to god to humble somebody um and the, the gentleman was humbled because it was his family that was causing it wasn't the support of the pastor but but can you see why do we have this mindset concerning finances of when, when the offerings are good, you know, that we're supportive of the pastor. If the offerings go down, we don't like the direction that the pastor's going. Do you see the danger in all of that? That's why tithing is, is really so important. I mean, tithing, I, I give to the Lord and I release it. You know, God, this is yours. And, you know, special projects, they might be a little bit different. We might feel more burdened about one than the other, but... But the tithing is so important. I, at least I'm just talking personally for my life. Because it's all to God. You know, it's not based on if they're, you guys are doing what I want to do or things are happening what I want to happen or if we're singing the right kind of songs that I want in the worship service. We're doing enough hymns or contemporary music or, you know, are we putting enough in children's? It, I give it to God. And there's a beautiful way, and that's why, I, I mean, I just encourage you guys to have that. To just release it, let God, and, and that doesn't mean I, I wouldn't, I don't have opinions on these other things, but I'm never going to let my giving be that. You know, to be that, that, that thing that ca causes me to try to control what's going on in the ministry. Now, I've got a couple minutes here, but we're going to go a little bit quicker here again. I mean, these, these are the, the examples, and it all carries over to prayer. It carries over into our fasting. The same danger lies in our prayer life. And I, I love Christ's description of a prayer life that's not focused on God. It says there in verse 7, when you are praying, it says, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Now, this is one situation where I love the King James better. It talks about those meaningless words that use a babbling brook. You ever hear a babbling brook? 
You know, it sounds nice. You can sit there forever, but you know, it never stops. You know, it's ah, and and sometimes we just think, you know, that the the length of my prayer and all of that things is is what makes it holy, what makes God hears it. You know, keeping going on and on with no real purpose of sound. I need to be careful here because um, I know, I, I believe my mother watches. Hello, mother. Um, she watches the, the live streams. But, um, you know, I was raised in a, a very orthodox, traditional church-type setting. And I remember that they, before meals, there was a prayer, the same prayer that was always prayed. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let thy guest to us be blessed. Amen. Now, real quickly, tell me what that means. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I did fi finally figure out what it means, but, you know, praying that over and over, every time, just stopping. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let thy guest to us be blessed. Amen. Do those words mean anything to my heart? Am I really connecting something like that with God? And again, I hear that, you know, prayers like that being prayed over and over and repetitious prayers and, and sometimes even the Lord's Prayer, which is used here, which wasn't given us as a pray this prayer in repetition, but used as an example of a sincerity in prayer and the types of things to pour your heart into and to focus on before God. That's why it was given, not say these magic words and, and somehow God is going to hear you. You know, it's the genuineness of what we speak. And for the sake of time, um, let, me, let me bring out the importance points of both praying and fasting, kind of joining them together. Okay? First of all, God promises a blessing and a reward. We said this earlier. And it will come from him when genuine God-centered prayer takes place. And when we fast for a special spiritual purpose. In verse 6, it says, When you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. In verse 17 and 18, But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men. But your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. You see, our prayers matter not because they are many. Our prayers matter because they are meaningful. Fasting moves the heart not because God looks down and sees us suffering, but God sees us serious when a person will take that Go to that extent to, to fast, whether it's a one-day fast or a three-day fast or whatever it might be. He's, it isn't God looking down and seeing, oh, Larry Marvel's suffering there. No, he's seeing Larry has something deep on his heart, and he's fasting over this. And he's seeing the seriousness of it. That's, that's what matters. That's what God is looking for in all of our right, acts of righteousness. And Christ put this great visual picture of what he's been talking about if you go just a little bit farther in verse 19 through 21. So he's, he's talked about praying, he's talked about giving, he's talking about fasting. And then he says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. In other words, the applause of men to be rewarded by men. 
where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is all about focus. This is all about whatever we do, doing heartily unto the Lord. You know, having a heart for God, not a heart to please man. And so his encouragement is for us to open an account in heaven and make regular deposits of righteousness. Whether it's in your prayer, whether it's in your giving, whether it's in your fasting, whether it's when you come here to work on the church to serve at our place of worship, whether it's you step forward and you, you teach a class, or that you're leading a meeting, or that you come here to paint, or whatever it might be, singing, you know, planning, anything. All these acts, these acts of righteousness that we do because we're Christians, and Christ has done something in my heart. He said, make regular deposits in heaven. Keep your focus upon him. And a great, he says, is our reward. Let's pray. Father God, I so thank you for just the down-to-earth, no beating-around-the-bush approach that Christ takes to the many things that we have in our faith that we do. I'm glad of this, God, because I, I just need to be hit over the head because it's easy to get sucked up and sucked into man's praise. And so help each and every one of us to continue to search our hearts as we serve you, as we speak to you, Lord. And I, I just pray that, you know, when our heart strays, that you will bring us back. God, that even this day, this week, might bring many opportunities for us to have a heart for you and to act on our faith to act on our transformation as children of yours and to make a deposit in heaven. Thank you, Father. In thy son's name we pray. Amen.